Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. My name is Darren Pritchett. I'll be with you for the next two hours as we talk about local sports here on WSBT radio. And our two-hour program is presented by our longtime title sponsor, Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance. For surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget, call Tim at 574-232-9981. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Coming up on the program this evening in about 15 minutes at 525, first year South Bend Cubs manager Lance Rimel will join the program. We'll talk about his South Bend team that is playing great baseball and has some interesting talent. On the roster, we'll talk to Lance coming up in just a little bit. We'll get to our Twitter question of the day that has to do with Notre Dame football and USC. Also coming up on the program, we'll talk Notre Dame football hot topics with Tyler Horka. Tyler, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Sports wagering, well, we've been a little hot the last few days. In fact, 3-1 and one on Friday, 4-0 and oh on Monday, and 4-0 and oh last night. So 11-1 and one in our last 12 regular picks, and our underdog pick is 2-1. and one. We missed it last night. We had the Mets over the Giants, and the Giants won 13-12 out in San Francisco. Probably a cold streak is coming, but let's see if we can ride the wave at least one more night. We'll get to sports wagering talk at 6.30 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, our first pitch topic tonight centers around college football first the recruiting news of the afternoon Notre Dame was trying to gain the services of a four-star wide receiver Rodney Gallagher he made his announcement this afternoon and Gallagher picked West Virginia over schools like Notre Dame and Penn State Gallagher one of those speedy slot receivers 5'9 165 he is from Uniontown Pennsylvania. He decided to stay close to home, literally. Uniontown is 24 miles from the West Virginia campus. Gallagher, according to On3.com Consensus, the number 19 wide receiver in the class of 2023 and the 106th overall player in the class of 2023. Probably not a big shock, but Gallagher goes with the Mountaineers. 
Currently, Notre Dame has 12 members in their class of 2023. There is one wide receiver currently in the class, Braylon James. Rico Flores will be announcing in early July. Jaden Greathouse, another player Notre Dame has ties to as the Irish try to bring in a pretty big wide receiver class with, of course, quality being extremely important as they look to restock their wide receiver room with now Chancey Stuckey as the wide receiver coach. So four-star wide receiver Rodney Gallagher picks West Virginia today. Now there could be some Notre Dame football recruiting news tomorrow. We'll keep our eye on the state of Washington where there's a 5'11", 190-pound running back by the name of Jaden Lamar, L-I-M-A-R, a four-star running back from the state of Washington. One of those speedy little guys, 5'11", 190 pounds, on three consensus, has Lamar as the 16th best running back in the class of 2023 and the 267th best player overall in the class. Now, Lamar will make his announcement on CBS Sports Headquarters, that CBS Internet site, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. So we'll find out just as Sportsbeat is wrapping up tomorrow night. Notre Dame is the leader, according to On3.com. The people who make projections, including Blue and Gold's Mike Singer, who you hear on this program every Tuesday. Their projections, Lamar, a 98% chance He will pick the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And the Irish, if they get his services, will beat out four schools from the West Coast. Washington State, Arizona, Oregon, USC, Michigan has been mentioned as a possibility as well. So we'll find out tomorrow night. Jaden Lamar could be a member of the Irish class. And he would be running back number one in the class. There was a number one until Cedric Irvin Jr. decided to decommit recently. So Lamar would be running back number one in the class with still another possibility out there to add to the class as we continue on to this 2023 recruiting cycle. For the latest and all these storylines and more, check out my colleagues at Blue and Gold Illustrated, their website, blueandgold.com. They still have that $1 deal for a year available, check them out at blueandgold.com. The second part of our first pitch today, as we inch closer to the start of the college football season, I know a lot of you that listen to this program are huge college football fans. So we try our best to bring you some football information, football topics, predictions along the way on this program. Well, today it's just more information to kind of wet your whistle. For the college football season, CBS has come out with a partial look at their college football schedule for this year. The SEC on CBS is their staple. Now, the first couple of weeks, they will not have SEC games to broadcast. As September 3rd will be Arizona at San Diego State. Then September 10th, Colorado in Colorado Springs to take on Air Force. Then we get going with SEC games. September 17th, a pair of teams that are looking to get back into the top spots in their respective conferences. Good non-conference matchup. September 17th on CBS, the Penn State Nittany Lions visiting the Auburn Tigers. September 24th on CBS, it'll be the first true SEC game of the week. They have not announced the games of the week as of yet. They will announce those probably 7 to 12 days in advance of the game. But September 24th, there's some pretty good choices. You got the Arkansas Razorbacks going down to Texas NIL. I mean, Texas A&M. Razorbacks and Aggies in College Station. And you got eh, Missouri at Auburn and then the always interesting Florida at Tennessee matchup. I wonder if they're going to try to put A&M on a lot this year. A, they're supposed to be good and the Fisher-Saban little rivalry going on right now through the media might put A&M a little bit more front and center. 
We know Alabama will be front and center. October 1st, Navy at Air Force, and then October 8th, back to SEC action on CBS. They'll have a doubleheader on October the 8th. Three pretty good choices. Two of these three are going to be a part of that doubleheader, and I think we know which one will be the 8 o'clock game. Basically, it comes down to this. The 3.30 game will either be Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee taking on the family down there at LSU. And the second matchup, the defending national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs between the hedges taking on the Auburn Tigers. One of those two will be at 3.30 because we know what the main event is at 8 o'clock on October the 8th. There's a little ball game down in Tuscaloosa that's got some extra juice now. It's going to be Texas A&M at Alabama. That's got to be the 8 o'clock game on October the 8th. October 15th, SEC game, three choices, LSU at Florida, Eh. Auburn at Ole Miss. Mm, Yeah, that's okay. And Alabama at Tennessee. That just has not been a competitive game for so long. October 22nd. Ole Miss at LSU, I'll take that. The two head coaches might have some fun battling it out down in Baton Rouge. And then Mississippi State at Alabama. You got the outdoor cocktail party on CBS, October 29th. Georgia taking on Florida. November 5th, an SEC game to be determined. Same on November the 12th. Boy, there's some good games on November the 12th for CBS to choose from. That LSU team at Arkansas, Texas A&M at Auburn, Ole Miss hosting Alabama. That might be the choice right there. And Georgia taking on Mississippi State. So that's an early look at the SEC on CBS schedule, highlighted by a doubleheader on October the 8th. And you just know the second game of the doubleheader will be Texas A&M at Alabama. I have a feeling the SEC Network may just go live with the pregame festivities before that game. Just follow Nick and Jimbo around, have a split screen, and if they ever come together to shake hands, we'll just have that little camera that looms over the field eavesdrop on the two buddies. 520 at WSBT coming up in a moment. We'll talk to the first-year manager of the South Bend Cubs, Lance Rimel. That's next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 25 minutes after 5 o'clock. Sports Beat continues on your home of the South Bend Cubs and the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you on this Wednesday. Well, the South Bend Cubs played an early morning game today at Four Winds Field. They'll be back in their normal time slot at 7.05 tomorrow night against the Great Lakes Loons. And South Bend playing some really great baseball right now. They are 24-17 and 17 on the season, including in front of the home fans, a record of 17-6. First-year South Bend Cubs manager Lance Rimel joins me here on WSBT Radio. Lance, it's Darren. Thank you so much for your time this evening. How are you? Darren, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Greatly appreciate your time, and I'd just like to ask you first off, what have been your impressions of being a part of this South Bend community and going to work every day at Four Winds Field with that great hitting facility beyond the right field fence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like the sound of 17-6 and six at home. Um, <laughs> like you said, we have a great performance center that the owner, Mr. Berlin, has provided us. Um, the Cubs love it here. Our players can get their work in. They can develop. And as you can see, some of our players have already been called up to Double A Tennessee, so it's been awesome. Lance, so many managers throughout minor league baseball and major league baseball were catchers during their career. In fact, a good friend of mine, and I know someone you've gotten to know probably here over the first couple of months, Mark Haley, was a catcher in college and had a great run as a manager here in South Bend. You were a catcher in the Cubs system. You were drafted by the Cubs in 2012. What is it about the catcher position that enables individuals like you who played that position to have so much success in the dugout? Uh, Yeah, first and foremost, Mark Haley is absolutely awesome. Yeah, he runs that performance center, whatever we need. 
whether it's rain or shine or off the field, he does a wonderful job with that performance center. And um, just to your catcher question, it's I think we're just I mean we're we're the quarterback of the team. Um, we help we help other we help the pitchers out, we help the defense out, and as a manager, you have a bunch of you have a bunch of responsibilities and a bunch of communications to go along throughout the year. I think that's what makes us so great because we've been doing that for most of our lives. Lance, back in the day as a player, you were in Boise in the Cubs system, and I understand you had some pretty interesting teammates, a guy by the name of Chris Bryant, Albert Almora, Wilson Contreras. What was it like being on a minor league team at that time as you were trying to establish yourself as a player and also have a guy like Bryant, who obviously a high draft pick, was going to pick up a lot of attention along the way? Yeah, I mean, it was great playing with those guys. Um, you know, it's uh, tough to make the club when, you got, when you're backing up in church and Victor Carantini and those guys. But um, to watch Chris Bryan and Javi Baez and Almora and just that, that whole system when we were ranked number one was great to see. I was glad I was a part of it. Um, they turned that into a World Series in 2016. Um, I, cherished, I cherished those times with those guys grinding through the minor leagues with those guys, and I'm very happy for all the success that they've had with the Cubs or with a different organization. I'm hoping every once in a while they picked up breakfast for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> going out back in the day, they definitely, those guys are, those guys were great. They, uh, <laughs> they made sure the 28th round pick didn't have to pay for anything. <laughs> Lance, your time as a player in the minor league system, how is that helping you as you have worked your way now into being a manager at the high level? Yeah, um, I mean, I've always been a Cub, you know. I played three and a half years for the Cubs, and I, right when I got released, you know, I was really blessed with Tim Cousins and Alex Flores calling me right after because I did have a little stint with the Rockies, and after I got released by them, they gave me a call and said I want to be a coach. So, I mean, I've been with the Cubs since 2012. Um, I know the philosophies. I know what we want in baseball. Um, so just grinding for the minor leagues um, obviously helps, um, but – is there any other? I'm here to get these guys better, get these guys to get ready for Chicago, and then bring another World Series to, to Chicago. Lance Rimmel, manager of the South Bend Cubs, my guest here on WSBT Radio. Using your background as a catcher, you've got an eye for what great pitching looks like. I'd like to get your thoughts early on what you've seen from Jordan Wicks, who actually got the start earlier today at Four Winds Field and kind of had that tough luck loss as he threw the ball extremely well, giving up just one run in five innings. What is a part of his makeup that is hopefully eventually going to allow him to make it to Wrigley Field? Yeah, um, Wicks is just such a great – it's just a hard worker. Um, And then when he gets on that mound, he's a bulldog, and I don't – everyone take the ball out of his hands, but sometimes on the pitch count, I have to, but um, yeah, like you said today, he, he, he gave up one run in five innings and crew for those five. Um, he, he's a hard worker. He, he's a student of the game. He wants to get better. Um, I think, obviously, his overall goal is to get to Chicago, and he absolutely will. I have nothing but great things to say for Jordan Wicks, and fans should be super excited for him to climb up the, the, uh, the minor league level. You mentioned the pitch counts, and this came to mind right away just calling South Bend Cub games the last few years. I think the biggest misconception from a lot of fans who come to the ballpark and sitting in the broadcast booth when things aren't going well and a pitcher's struggling, hey, get that guy out of there. You know, come on, come on, we need a new guy. Actually, your job as a manager at the minor league level is a whole lot different than David Ross with the Chicago Cubs. Can you offer a little insight into it's more about making sure these guys get their innings and they're probably asked to throw so many pitches. And if they get too close to that number, obviously they got to be taken out of the ballgame. But you're not going into this strategizing in the sixth, seventh inning. You want to bring in this guy to face that guy. Yeah, Rossi's definitely trying to win. And I'm definitely trying to, we're just still trying to develop to make sure these guys stay healthy and reach their, their pitch count or their pitch limit throughout the year. Um, Jordan Wicks was great today. Um, no matter what, I, he absolutely proved he was only going five. Yeah. Um, just because he's on an innings limit, and that's just a lot. A lot of the starters you see with the South Bend, they're really young. They all have good arms. We're trying to keep them healthy, trying to get their pitch count up, uh, try to get their pitch innings in this year. Um, so hopefully they can be in Wrigley within, within the near future. Yeah. So sometimes it, 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 it stinks as a manager because you do hear the fans say why or <laughs> doing you when when DJ Hurst throws four innings when like nobody, but no one gets on. But it's it's. Uh, 
it's how it goes, and it's, I, I absolutely understand. And it's it's good for these guys to uh, just cruise in on a good note and get better for the next start. Why don't you just throw out a couple of superlatives about DJ Hers? At times, he has been unhittable. Yeah, I mean that left that left both our left-handers, uh, Wicks, Hers. They got that angle in there. Fastball they attack with a good off-speed. Um, and Hers just has such a good tempo about him. Like he's ready to pitch right before the the batter gets in the box, and I think it makes a lot of guys uncomfortable. So when you have hers and you have Wicks, and most when you have our pitching staff, we, we feel really good about our chances uh, that day at the park. Lance, it's interesting watching the development of a guy like Alexander Canario, who has now moved up to Tennessee, but started the year in South Bend. He actually joined South Bend last year, had a chance to watch him up close last season, a part of the Chris Bryant deal. And I saw a guy with a high ceiling, aggressive, power off the chart, but there were a few holes in his swing last year. I know you were not here for that, but I'm just wondering what your analysis was of Canario because it seemed like everything just fell into place this year in South Bend before he got moved up to Double A. Yeah, him returning this year, there ain't no holes in those sw- that swing. Uh, that, that swing now, but um, <laughs> super. Super professional person, uh, wouldn't know it. Very good English. Um, goes about his work day the right way. Um, had 100 ABs with us. Um, obviously, seven home runs. He was on the 40 man. It was time to get him up, see what he can do. And you might see him in Chicago at the end of the year. Mm. Wow, that's exciting news with the way Nelson Velasquez is hitting. Canario they, is they, hitting. Those two, those, yeah, those two remind me a lot of, of each other because you know, I had Velasquez in the fall league. And okay. They, when they get hot, when they get hot, they can they can carry a team for a long time. It's interesting, Lance, because I think it was 2018. We had Nelson for a cup of tea here in South, and he was very young at the time, and he was striking out a lot, and then eventually came back. I think summer of 2019, a part of our championship team, he started to figure out, and he started to punish the baseball, hit the ball the other way. I know he's got a lot of free swing in him, but I'll tell you what, between the two of them, I think Cub fans should be excited about the future of the outfield, plus that Brennan Davis guy is not too bad either. Absolutely. Those three, and, I mean, when you talk about Canario and Velasquez's arms, I mean, they're elite. Uh, They can throw somebody out too. So um, you like the offensive side, but also they're not slacking on the defensive side, obviously, and, and Davis as well. Lance, so often we hear in baseball, too often nowadays, about pitchers going through Tommy John surgery. And every once in a while, we hear that a position player has to go through Tommy John surgery. And you've got a young man on your roster in Cole Roeder that had to go under the had to undergo Tommy John surgery, an outfielder in the Chicago Cubs system. I know he just got back to South Bend, which I'm really excited about. Do you have to handle him a little differently? knowing that he is just this far along away from Tommy John surgery, or is he full go? He can play every day. Well, yeah, I mean, Cole Roder is a, is a great athlete, and you love having him in the lineup. But um, he lost basically all 2020 to COVID, and then 20, he was 2021 to Tommy John. Um, his main goal this year is just to go out and play, uh, not every day, but a lot, just stay healthy throughout, throughout the season to get some of those ABs back. Um, because he is a threat in, when he gets in the lineup, but um, there's definitely something times you got to monitor that just to make sure you're checking in. Hey, how you feeling? How's the arm? Um, he's great. He's always ready to roll. Um, I'm, I like having Cole in our lineup. He's been hitting leadoff for us. He's a he's a spark for us. There's a lot of interesting players in your roster, and I'm not going to get to all of them. But Lance, let me ask you about Ed Howard for a second. Before he got injured, first round pick, middle infielder in the Chicago Cubs system. What have you noticed about Howard since he joined South Bend? He was getting so so much better at the plate, like the play discipline, like owning his strike zone, um, really coming into his own. Before that that freak accident really happened, it was tough to watch. It was a it was a gut punch to, to us as, as a club. Um, but, man, just the energy that he would bring and just the athleticism he has, and he could go, he could fill a bag with any of them. So losing a guy like that definitely hurts. And then you, you add Mervis and Canario and Beasley double A. Um, we're a different lineup than we were at the beginning, but um, uh, we are very, we're a very grindy group now. And we definitely uh, we love to hit the fastball and uh, go gap to gap now. Well, Lance, I feel old because Howard was born in 2002. So this is still a young guy. He was drafted out of high school. 
I would assume this is a pretty obvious question, but when you have a high school kid, in particular a position player, do you have to be, as an organization, a little more patient with them? Because they're going to be facing guys at times that are four or five years older than them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he was 20 years old, um, first year in high A. Um, there, you, you expect up and downs, but, um, you know, but his effort level was always there. He was going to give you 100,000% a night, and uh, that's all you can ask. And um, we really enjoyed having Ed, but um, hopefully he gets better than ever while he's on rehab and uh, can come back. Uh, come back as soon as possible. And Lance, for you as a coach, I've read you spent time in the Dominican League. You ran the the complex down in Mesa, and now you've worked your way up to being a full season manager here in the High League, or now the Midwest League once again, here in South Bend. What has the road been like for you, post-player, now working your way to this particular position? Yeah, you know, you never want to say, hey, uh, you know, when your time comes to an end as a player, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's all you've been doing. You're like, you're a ball player. But I, like I said, I was blessed to get, get the opportunity to coach in the system. Um, I've always wanted to manage. So that's why I took the Dominican just to get my foot in the door. I ran that Dominican summer league down there for two years with uh, the help of Dave Keller, who is the uh, Latin American coordinator, who was my manager in Daytona. So it was great to have him there to kind of help me along my first two years. And then, um, and then I went to Eugene in 19, which had a great time. I actually got out. Uh, even though it was short season, I really enjoyed my time in Eugene. 2020, I got to be part of David Rossi's staff. Uh, bullpen catcher through BP every day, whatever mm. they needed, just a staff assistant. I really enjoyed my time there. And then uh, last year I did run the ACL, which was great. I really enjoy helping these young guys learn how to be professional, learn a routine, um, just becoming a professional baseball player for the Chicago Cubs. Well, wow, that's awesome, and it sure sounds like you've got a really good locker room to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my coaching staff is great. Um, they they do so much work that goes unnoticed. Um, and then these these group of guys that have us out there, they're just awesome. I, it's not work. It's definitely I haven't worked a day in my life, which is I'm I'm happy to say like it's definitely something that I, I literally smile coming to the ballpark every day. I think Mark Haley said that to me about 15 times in our friendship through the years, so you guys yeah. definitely have that in common. Hey, one final question for you, Lance. Just thinking back to your time as a player in the Cubs system, I know the analytics continues to grow and grow. It's pretty amazing now. The video coordinators, or at least last time I was in the broadcast booth, had been moved to the dugout. So there's just a constant push of video and, and analytics. From your time as a player to now as a manager, how far along has that come? And would you have liked to have all the data that you hand out now when you were a player? I mean, it's, it has my last year in 2015 and now it's 2022 it's come a very long long way um a lot of the stuff that is in the data some of the coordinators would just tell us because they could see it mm-hmm. that is there i think for coaches just to just to have their backing because a lot of time the coaches see what's going on without even looking at the data so i just think in having the data plus the coaches on the same page really helps the player like hey we're not just guessing here this is what the data shows this is what we see as coaches this is what we need to work on um, but as a player, would I like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think what player wouldn't want to know as much as possible about the sport that they're playing or what they're doing and what they need to get better at. Um, my first hitting coach was Bill Buckner. Wow. God rest his soul. He was one of the best to ever do it. Um, he taught me a lot. So um, I, I would, as a player, I would love the information. As coaches, we still give these guys information, but um, not to rely too much on it because you know how pitchers are. They can flip the script on you when they're out there on the mound. Well, Lance, you mentioned Bill Buckner's name, and it brings back one of my favorite moments being a broadcaster in South Bend. He sat in my booth for an inning, and we talked baseball. And, and before the interview, I, I just went back and looked at his stats, and it's remarkable. He would strike out 30 times a year. And when you think about what yeah. the game has become today, I asked him about that. He just kind of shook his head. He goes, I don't understand why striking out is okay nowadays. But he used to strike out man. 30 times. Amazing. Yeah. He's one of one, man. He's such a genuine – he was such a genuine, yeah. nice, good person. Like, he was awesome, and I was one of those players that struck out two or three times a day. We just looked at him like, what are we doing? So, uh, he was awesome. I don't think all the hits in the world could have helped me get, get any hits, but um, 
uh, he had like 2,800 hits in the big leagues, mm. and then just the way he just spoke to you and and kind of just what the the attack against the the pitchers of that day it was it was just awesome to be a part of. And the way he handled adversity, we could all learn from that. Definitely, he Absolutely. was uh, he Absolutely. was amazing, amazing. Well, Lance, thank you so much for your time this evening. Really enjoyed this conversation and looking forward to getting a chance to talk to you in person here really, really soon. But welcome to South Bend and congratulations on the great start to the year. And you guys will be going back at it tomorrow night at 7.05 against Great Lakes. So best of luck going forward. Absolutely. South Bend, the South Bend fans have been absolutely awesome. 17-6 at home. We really appreciate everyone that comes out. Um, and Dan, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Hey, the crowds are only going to get bigger with school getting out now. That's, You're going to have some right. huge crowds at the ballpark. So absolutely. Lance, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. That is Lance Rimel, South Bend Cubs manager, Cubs and Great Lakes tomorrow night at 7.05 right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run! Eloy Jimenez! Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's the winner! Here's Darren Pritchett. Here we go with another hour of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, also presented by Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. We're talking Notre Dame football on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Tyler Horka. He is the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. You can read his work at blueandgold.com. And he's ready to talk some Notre Dame football topics with us on this Wednesday evening. Tyler, good to talk to you as always. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. It's, it's warm in South Bend, maybe too warm. I was sweating walking the dog not too long ago. <laughs> so I feel like I'm back home. I was going to say you Texas guy can't handle the heat, right? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I just want to get I just want to get away from it is what I want to do. <laughs> well, I guarantee you, probably that first game against Marshall, it might be a little sticky once again at Notre Dame Stadium. Well, good to talk to you as always. I want to talk a little offensive line off the bat, and of course, Harry Heastan back in South Bend, which is great for Notre Dame football, great for Notre Dame football fans, and in particular, the Fighting Irish offensive line and offensive coordinator. Tommy Reese you know we've got a lot of familiar names now along the line you've got Joe Alt and Blake Fisher at the tackle spots Jared Patterson could be a late first round pick next year he's manning the center position then you've got the guard spot Tyler I think there's a lot of intrigue there Kristoffic uh, came in and helped settle down the offensive line last year. Josh Lugg is back for another year he was a tackle last year you've got some young pups that this coaching staff has been grooming from your standpoint, going into fall camp, do you think the starting guards have been settled or are those jobs still up for grabs? I would say they're absolutely up for grabs. And in the last couple of weeks of spring practice, I think that was the greatest determination of that when we saw Rocco Spindler getting some first-team left reps at left guard. And, of course, Andrew Kristoffic pretty much came in and I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did. Everyone says that Joe Alt was pretty much the savior of that offensive line when they started playing well in the second half of last season, and rightfully so. He deserves so much respect. But Andrew Kristoffic kind of flew under the radar a little bit. He played some really good football. So the fact that Rocco Spindler, a true sophomore like Joe Alt, like Blake Fisher, was getting some first-team reps, I think he's a guy who – he never really was under the radar because even when Kristoffic was starting and, and Kane Madden, especially at right guard last year, everyone was like, where's Spindler? Where's Spindler? Why isn't he playing? Well, he's kind of arrived and, you know, he's taking that sophomore leap, that second year step. So I think he's a guy that could definitely, you know, maybe push Kristoffic out of the starting lineup. And then you go over to the right guard spot. And obviously that's where Josh Lug has moved over from right tackle from last year. And, 
I'll tell you what, I watched that blue gold game and I, I wrote a whole article for the blue and gold magazine. And if you guys got it uh, this past month and you guys probably read it, but I said, don't, you know, take too much of what happened in the blue gold game and, and project it into the 2022 season. Cause that's, it's just not going to be that way. But I saw a guy, Quinn Murphy play really well at right guard and he might've played even better than Josh Lugged did, And that's a walk on. Hmm. So to answer your question, I'm not going to say Quinn Murphy is going to start or even play significant reps in 2022, but I think the fact that he played really well and caught my eye more than Josh Lug did will tell you right there that absolutely both the left guard and right guard spots are up for grabs. And that, that doesn't mean that, you know, Notre Dame has issues there. I just think that means that there's a lot of competition there. And from Harry Heastan's point of view, that's probably exactly what he wants. He's probably loving to see this. Quality and quantity is exactly what you're looking for, and that's what you just described at Notre Dame at the offensive guard spots. Well, I would say last year at this time, your colleague Mike Singer was the president of the Joe Alt Fan Club, and I'm not sure everybody (laughs) was all locked into what Alt was capable of doing. Mike was all in on him, and once Alt got on the field, all of a sudden everybody's like, wow. Look at this freshman mm-hmm. play left tackle, and we're already projecting him as maybe a first-round pick two years from now. Now, that might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I think that just shows you how good this kid has been and can be. So, Alt kind of came off from under the radar to be a big contributor last year. Is there an offensive lineman on the roster or a freshman coming in that you feel like that we should keep an eye on. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to start this year. Maybe he's a rotation guy. But is there someone you're keeping your eye on? I really like Joey Tanona. And I'm not going to say I'm the president of the Joey Tanona <laughs> fan club because I'll leave those sorts of things to Mike. But we were able to talk to Joey Tanona before he sustained the concussion and it sounds like he's going to be okay. And that is a very serious topic that he was injured in a, in a car accident, but we saw him after that. He was, he was at practices, just not playing. It looks like he's going to be okay. There's no need to throw him out there with something that serious after that happens. But before that happened, we talked to him and we got to see him in pads a little bit. I'm like, boy, that dude is a true freshman. Get him, you know, a summer of Bayless workouts or player led workouts, whatever it is maybe even a fall learning behind some of those guys that I just talked about at guard and even some of the tackles, just him being in the room with Harry Houston and guys like Joe Walt, like you said, who might be a first round pick. Blake Fisher's probably definitely going to be a first round pick if he's able to stay healthy. Joey Tanona being around those guys at this stage in his career is going to be vital. And then I think, you know, you go back and watch some of the tape from him at high school. He, he can move people and he's going to get bigger, but he already has that innate, offensive lineman kind of feel about him he knows what he's doing out there I think he's going to be really good I say all those things I could say pretty much everything I just said about Billy Strauss as well I think the two early enrollees that Notre Dame got um, you know this spring neither of them played much during the spring because Strauss was dealing with uh, a foot surgery rehab and but once these guys get healthy over the summer and they go into fall camp I think there's going to be a lot of media types at fall camp looking at those two and saying who the heck are they are they pushing for starting time right now the answer may be no to that question but in two or three years those guys are going to be really good for the notre dame offensive line notre dame football talk on budweiser's weekday sports beat on wsbt radio i'm darren pritchett tyler horkin notre dame football beat reporter at blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com i want to talk about a notre dame opponent for a moment tyler The USC Trojans, they have made headlines since last year's college football season came to a close. They got Lincoln Riley out of Norman, Oklahoma, to become their new head coach. He brought quarterback Caleb Williams with him. I guess you could throw him into that list of players. It could be a Heisman hopeful. And then they, I guess, quote-unquote steal Jordan Addison, the outstanding wide receiver from Pittsburgh, who had 100 catches last year with the Panthers. He is now at USC. So the next few years, how much of a threat do you believe USC will be to Notre Dame? Obviously, you got to beat USC to get to the college football playoff, or you have to be perfect elsewhere. So what is your level of concern about what's brewing right now at USC? Yeah, the Notre Dame-USC rivalry never really left because it's always there, and it's always one of the bigger rivalries in college football. But 
it is most certainly back now with that kind of star power. And you think of USC, it's supposed to have star power, right? I don't think Clay Helton really brought that when you thought of USC and, and he was the head coach. You're just kind of like, ah, eh, they're going to sputter through this tenure and, you know, it's going to be the next guy who brings them back to prominence. Well, that next guy's here. That next guy took Oklahoma to the college football playoffs quite a few times. Never really got over the hump, and I think if he does – uh, bring USC to the college football playoff, it could be a pretty similar situation in the sense that, you know, they're there, the offense is really good, but is the defense going to hold up? Are they going to win college football playoff games? I don't know about that. But what I do know is if USC is making it to the college football playoff, that probably means Notre Dame isn't because that game at the end of the year is going to loom large for both of these teams every single year. And, you know, I know this year it was, uh, you know, in October and, Notre Dame got through it rather easily, but I'm pretty sure in the next couple of years, it's, you know, it's that last game of the season, especially this year. So if Notre Dame does have a type of season where they're competing for a college football playoff spot and, you know, maybe USC is only like seven and three, eight and two, somewhere around there a week before this game, you're still going to worry because you're like, this is a full year into a Lincoln Riley offense. Those guys are probably going to be getting it at that time. And that is really scary if you're Notre Dame where you go out to Los Angeles and you have to say, all right, we're going to have to find out a, a way to stop these guys or else we're not going to win our regular season finale. And, you know, we're going to go to the Fiesta Bowl or Peach Bowl, whatever it may be, and, and not the college football playoff like we want to. So I think this rivalry is 100% back because USC has that star power. Notre Dame has that star power with Marcus Freeman. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in it, and it's definitely going to come down to can the Notre Dame defense – led by a defensive-minded head coach in Marcus Freeman, stopped the USC offense, led by one of the greatest offensive minds mm. in college football in Lincoln Riley. And it's fascinating. I, I want it to be – I don't know what the date is of that game, but can it get here already? That, that game's going to be awesome. <laughs> well, as I make this next statement, this has nothing to do with Brian Kelly or Marcus Freeman and their coaching abilities. But Marcus is going to have more challenges with USC than Brian Kelly ever did. I mean, Brian missed the heyday of USC football under Pete Carroll, and they were rolling 20 years ago. And he got to face some coaches that were a little more easy to push around. I mean, Marcus is going to have to go up against, as you mentioned, one of the great offensive minds in college football. So he kind of got the, the short end of the stick. Yeah, didn't Brian Kelly face uh, interim head coach Ed Orgeron? And Ed Orgeron's a national champion. Don't get me wrong. Ed Orgeron's a national champion. There's a reason he was in South Bend a few weeks ago talking to these guys. But Ed Orgeron also had 14 NFL draft picks on that roster alone and a quarterback who just went to the Super Bowl in, what, his second or third season in the league. So, yeah, Brian Kelly definitely faced a different USC than what Marcus Freeman is going to face because guess what? Lincoln Riley tends to produce, you know, those same types of players that we saw at LSU a couple of years ago. And uh, he sustains that as well. I think he's going to be at USC for however long he wants to. Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Let me switch to baseball for a moment. I'm noticing on Twitter that Florida State knocked off Virginia just a few moments ago in the ACC tournament. So that's the nine-seed Florida State beating the five-seed Virginia. Those two teams are in the same pod as the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, and the Irish will take on Florida State tomorrow at 3, and then they'll take on Virginia Friday at 11 a.m. Did it matter who won that game? I mean, I know this ACC tournament is kind of strange with the pod system, but did Notre Dame have a rooting interest in that Florida State-Virginia game? Well, if Link Jarrett has these guys ready to go, and we talked to him on a Zoom call earlier, earlier today, and it sounds like he does. He said, we will make our starting pitching decision based on what happens in that game. So it sounds like everyone's ready to go. I think this is the perfect outcome for Notre Dame because, as you mentioned, it's the lower-seeded team. Florida State has been struggling mightily really since Notre Dame faced them. I think that was the very beginning of April and swept them in Tallahassee. They haven't really been the same team since then. They were top five at the time. Now they're, you know, holding on, I think, to a number two spot in a regional, maybe even a number three spot, depending on what goes on in Charlotte. But the reason this is good for Notre Dame is if everyone is ready to go, that game tomorrow is for all the marbles in terms of moving on to Saturday in this ACC tournament. If Notre Dame wins tomorrow, 
they're guaranteed a spot in the tournament in the in the Saturday semifinal because of the pod system. They are the highest seeded team. Everyone is going to be one and one at best at that point. They can really kind of throw away that Virginia game. Yeah. And I know based on last year, the 14 to one to Virginia, people probably want to exercise those demons. But <laughs> if if Link Jarrett plays his cards right, win tomorrow, you punch your ticket to Saturday. And Notre Dame is looking at only needing to win two more games to win the ACC baseball championship. So I, I think that was the uh, the result that Link Jarrett might have not out of not have outwardly said he wanted to happen, but it's probably what he was thinking uh, within the the locker room. Tyler, does winning the ACC tournament change at all the scenarios for Notre Dame possibly hosting? a super regional if they would get through the South Bend regional, which we know that they're going to get. Right. I, Link Jarrett said today that he believes so. He's He went into this thing thinking if we win, we're a national seed. I'm not so sure about that. I really think they needed to win that series against Miami. Just one, you know, if they would have won one more game in Miami, it would have changed everything just because RPI points are different at that time. You have another quality win over a team that's, locked into pretty much a national seed at this point. But who knows, maybe they'll get that revenge opportunity this weekend, even up the score against Miami. And then you're looking at a two and two record against a team that's been pretty much top 10 in the country the last couple months. So I think there's definitely an opportunity of Notre Dame winning this ACC baseball championship and maybe getting fringe top eight potential. So if, if you're Notre Dame, that has to be the thought process is, hmm. you know, we missed out narrowly on a national seed last year. It's right there for us again. We don't want to miss out narrowly again. I think Notre Dame has to gun for it. And, uh, you know, there's really no other mindset if you're Notre Dame. It's let's win this thing and see what happens. Tyler, you cover Notre Dame women's basketball. And a bit of a shock earlier this week, Coquise Washington, Neil Ivey's assistant coach, has become the new head coach. At Rutgers, how big of a loss is Coquise to this Notre Dame women's basketball program? Really big loss, and, and you can't really sugarcoat it either. She played basketball at Notre Dame from 1989 to 93. She got her law degree from Notre Dame, graduated in 97. You know, shortly thereafter, became an assistant coach on Muffet McGraw's staff, was there for eight or nine years, won the national championship on the bench with McGraw while current head coach Neil Ivey was the point guard. So that's where that relationship kind of got established. Of course, she went to Penn State for 12 years and did a pretty good job there. Took them to the tournament a couple of sweet 16s. Ends up coming back when Neil Ivey is uh, awarded the head coaching job in 2020. And I would say Coquise Washington is instrumental in getting KK Bransford, the All-American freshman that comes in this summer to come to Notre Dame. She has a pre-existing relationship with Bransford's mother going back to their days growing up in Flint, Michigan. Lauren Ebo came in from Texas. She started her career at Penn State. Coquise Washington was still the head coach at Penn State. So I don't think Notre Dame gets that graduate transfer without Washington. So she did a lot of things on the bench within games to help Neil Ivey and obviously Muffet McGraw back in the day. And she was awesome on the recruiting trail. So it's a big loss, but, you know, that's what happens when you have a coach that that's good. They're going to end up you know, getting back to the, the highest level, and that's why she's the head coach at Rutgers now. All right, that's the latest there on the Notre Dame women's basketball team. And, Tyler, in terms of Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, you guys continue to produce story after story each and every day, and people can be a part of the Blue and Gold family so easily. Yeah, absolutely. Go to blueandgold.com right now. Sign up for a dollar for a year of premium access. So that includes the message board, anything that's behind the paywall that we write, you obviously have access to that. You can't beat it. $1 for all of these articles. I mean, I, I don't even know how many articles I've written in the month of May, and that's generally a slow time if you're a college football reporter. But, uh, you know, we're, we're pushed to really work our tails off, and that's what we do. I think we outwork the beat. I think there's more stuff at blueandgold.com on Notre Dame athletics than you can find anywhere. So if you're a fighting Irish fan – that's the place to be. I've been saying it. I'll keep saying it. I'll keep saying it. Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Folks, check it out. You can read the work of Tyler Horko, who joins me every Wednesday here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Tyler, thank you so much for the knowledge and the visit, and we'll do it again next week. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Darren. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Joining me on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, 626 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Oh, we can probably afford a couple of juicy steaks from good old Sizzler after the last few days here on our We Going to Sizzler Sports Wagering segment. Darren Pritchett with you, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, 27 minutes in front of 7 o'clock on this Wednesday evening. Well, we caught fire on Friday going 3 and 1. Monday, 4-0. Last night, pretty good as well. Let's recap the suggestions from Tuesday's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beep. We had three Major League Baseball games and an NHL playoff game on the suggestion list. We started with the Battle of the Birds in St. Louis, Cardinals and Blue Jays. The total run score to the game was set at 7 I like the over because Cardinals starter Jordan Hicks has not been effective, and the Cardinals used their three best bullpen pieces the night before to win a 10-inning game over the Blue Jays. And with the way they've handled their bullpen, more than likely two of the three were not going to be made available for this game. So I felt like the Jays were going to win and put up a few runs, and the game played out perfectly. Well, as a Cardinal fan, it didn't play out perfectly. But from a wagering standpoint, we love it. Blue Jays won 8-1. to one. We needed eight runs to win the wager. We got nine, so let's put that in the victory column. The second suggestion last night, I took the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line over the Marlins at minus 150. I never go above 150, and I'm just a big Shane McClanahan fan, starting pitcher for Tampa Bay. Saw him a lot in Bowling Green Facing the South Bend Cubs in 2019, he has been dominating. In fact, go look at his stats. If you're a baseball geek, look up Shane McClanahan's stats. You're not going to hear much about him. He's down in Tampa, but his innings pitch strikeout ratio, it is off the chart good, and it was good last night as the Rays won. That's what we needed. Tampa Bay four. The Marlins nothing. Florida has the Florida. Miami has the worst record in Major League Baseball since May 1st. That's a good trend to follow. The third suggestion from last night's program, I like the Milwaukee Brewers on the money line against the Padres out in San Diego. We got that wager at 135, and I love that game because the Cy Young Award winner, Corbin Burns, was on the mound for Milwaukee. I was going to take my chances with Burns against Snell, and the Milwaukee Brewers won last night, 4-1. to one. All right, fourth suggestion from last night, going for the second consecutive perfect night. It was the Blue Shirts, the New York Rangers, taking on Ian Cole and the Carolina Hurricanes. The trend is obvious. Carolina unstoppable at home, very beatable on the road. Entering last night's game, Carolina 0-4 on the road in the postseason. They went 0-3 in Boston, lost the first game at Madison Square Garden. So I was all in on the Rangers last night on the money line at minus 110. And I love that song. Rangers 4, Hurricanes 1. So that is a 4-0 night. 8-0 this week, and now 11-1 in our last 12. I have a feeling (laughs) this streak won't last much longer. Hopefully it will. Now our underdog pick did not hit last night. I had the Mets on the money line at the Giants at plus 105. They got walked off in a wild 13-12 Giants victory. But the underdog has been good since we started it. We're now 4-2 and two on underdog picks, and the regular picks are up now to 18-10. and 10. I thought about just taking the night off and enjoying 11 out of 12, but we can't do that. It's a part of the show. Let's press on. Let's see if we can find a few more winners. One game is in progress right now, and it's not going well. 
I took the Padres on the money line at home against Milwaukee at minus 125, trying to ride you Darvish to victory. And the Brewers' Tyrone Taylor hit a two-run home run in the seventh inning to put the Brewers in front. So it is Milwaukee 2, San Diego 1, top of the eighth. We need to flip that game to post the victory, taking the Padres on the money line. The other three suggestions for tonight have not started. First off, Reds and Cubs at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. The location of the game is very important. Also, the starting pitcher for the Cubs is very important. Kyle Hendricks has not been great for a year and a half, or at least he has not been the Kyle Hendricks that we're used to, a guy that starts Game 7 of the World Series in 2016. On top of that, he has never been a great pitcher in Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark. It's his worst ERA on the road, 5.75. So it is Luis Castillo who's got a really good changeup taking on Kyle Hendricks. My suggestion is this. In tonight's game, which will start in about two minutes, I'm going to take the Reds to have the lead at the end of five innings, and we get that wager at minus 110. So I'm banking on the Reds to be in the lead after five innings, and we'll take the Reds at minus 110. Also tonight from the National Basketball Association playoffs, there is a game tonight. Eastern Conference Final, it is game number five down in Miami. This has been a series that makes your head spin. One game you think, wow, they're going to just roll through the rest of the series and go to the NBA Final. Then the next game happens. Whoa, reversal of fortune. The other team looks like the unstoppable force. What happens tonight? Boston absolutely destroyed Miami in Boston in game four. I'm going to go with the Celtics tonight. On the road, they are the favorite tonight. I'm taking Celtics minus two and a half points at the Heat. I'm just basing this on the fact the Celtics have four guys that love to get into a stance. I know the NBA is an offensive league, but the way the Celtics have been able to shut down the Heat For a good amount of time in this series, I'm banking on the Celtics controlling this game defensively, and I'm going to go with the road favorite. I'm going to say Boston minus 2.5 at the Heat at minus 110. And the fourth and final suggestion for tonight's We Going to Sizzler segment comes from the National Hockey League. The Stanley Cup playoffs continue tonight. The Western Conference semifinal. The team that was the favorite to win the cup at the start of the playoffs, the Colorado Avalanche, come back home to Denver with a chance to move on to the Western Conference final. Standing in their way, the St. Louis Blues. Again, I have to pick something below minus 150. I can't go with the avalanche on the money line. It's way over that. In fact, it might be over 200 at this point. So I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go with a three-way result to make this work. So the avalanche will beat the Blues in this three, three-way three result, and that means at the end of regulation, there are three things you can bet on. Avalanche win, Blues win, or a tie, you go into overtime. I'm going to say the Avalanche win the game in regulation, and with the three-way result, we get the Avalanche at minus 145. So they can't win it in overtime, we lose. It's got to be Avalanche winning in regulation in the three-way result over the Blue Note, and we'll take the Avalanche at minus 145. So our main four suggestions for tonight in progress, Padres on the money line against the Brewers. That's not looking good right now. Reds will have the lead after the first five innings against the Cubs at minus 110. NBA playoffs, Celtics minus two and a half at Miami at minus 110. And then the three-way result, the Avalanche have to beat the Blues in regulation. And that wager 
is at minus 145. I'm just hoping for a split tonight after the good luck we've had the last three nights. Okay, our underdog pick, which is separate. We look for a plus number and try to ride it to victory. So far, we're 4-2 and two with the underdog pick. And tonight, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Phillies on the money line at Atlanta to beat the Braves at plus 140. Ranger Suarez is a starting pitcher for the Phillies. He gets the call tonight. His ERA as a starter with the Phillies since last year is under two when the Phillies are on the road this year. His road ERA is 2.50. Charlie Morton has not been as dominant as you would expect so far this year for Atlanta. Plus, even better news, a key bat out of the Braves lineup as Ronald Acuna Jr. gets the night off. So, our underdog pick for tonight, the Philadelphia Phillies, a road underdog to beat the Braves at plus 140. Those are the suggestions for our We Going to Sizzler segment for this Wednesday evening. Got a little bit of Indiana basketball news to pass along to you. We'll do that in a moment. It is 17 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022. Great to be with you on this Wednesday evening, 649 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Good evening. I'm Darren Pritchett. We had a little Notre Dame football recruiting news earlier this afternoon. 2023 four-star wide receiver Rodney Gallagher chose West Virginia over schools like Penn State and Notre Dame. Gallagher from Uniontown, Pennsylvania, will travel a whopping 24 miles to go to college to play for the Mountaineers in Morgantown. On3.com, their consensus board has Gallagher as the 19th best wide receiver in the class of 2023, overall, regardless of position, player number 106. Doesn't seem like this is a big surprise. Notre Dame tried to reel him in, but Gallagher playing close to home at West Virginia. Now, the Irish have one commitment in the class of 2023 at the wide receiver position. It is Braylon James and the Irish in pursuit of a couple of other wide receivers, including... Rico Flores, who will announce on July the 3rd, his college choice. He's choosing between Notre Dame, Georgia, and Ohio State. Pretty good list to choose from. Also, another young man by the name of Jaden Greathouse, the Irish are very interested in, among others. So that's where we stand right now with Fighting Irish wide receiver recruiting. One of the 12 commitments in the class of 2023 at the wide receiver position. Now in about 24 hours, the Irish could have a 13th commitment for the class of 2023. We go up to the state of Washington, running back Jaden Lamar. He is 5'11", 190. He is a guy that most prognosticators believe he will choose Notre Dame tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Now on 3com they have their... Writers and commentators, they make their predictions. And right now, 98% of those who have made a pick say that Lamar will choose the Fighting Irish over a bunch of teams from the West Coast, like Oregon, Arizona, Washington State. USC has been mentioned. Also, Michigan has been involved with Jaden Lamar. Lamar, on the on three consensus board, the 16th best running back in the class of 2023. Player number 267 overall, Lamar would join the Irish class and he would be the only running back in the class. They had Cedric Irvin Jr. committed, but he decided to decommit. 
a few days ago. So the running back room in the class of 2023 is empty right now, but a good chance that Lamar joins. And there's a pretty good five-star that the Irish are pursuing as well at this time. So not all is lost, even though Irvin decided to reopen his recruitment. So all eyes on the state of Washington tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Jaden Lamar, a 5'11", 190-pound running back, seems to be leaning toward Notre Dame. We'll have the official word coming up tomorrow night. And if he verbally commits to the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Mike Singer will hop on the program on Friday, and we'll talk about Jaden Lamar and joining this Fighting Irish football class of 2023, which is still number one in the country. Seven minutes in front of 7 o'clock, we take a look at the scoreboard. The Tigers picked up a nice win over the Twins today by a score of 4-2. to two. That helps the White Sox as the Tigers got a two-run home run in the 10th inning from Jamer Condelario, the former Cub prospect. That two-run shot put the Tigers in the win column for two. Earlier in the day, Harold Castro hitting second in the Detroit lineup, hit solo home runs in the sixth and the eighth innings. But the Tigers needed extra innings to pull it out, and they did 4-2 over the Twins. Minnesota is now 27-17 and on the season. They lead the AL Central currently by five games over the Chicago White Sox, who will host the Boston Red Sox tonight at 8-10. Lucas Giolito, ERA under three right now. He'll take the mound for the Southsiders. And the old veteran left-hander, Rich Hill, will go for the Red Sox. In action right now, San Francisco leads the Mets 9-2 in the bottom of the seventh. Washington out in front of the Dodgers 1-0 in the ninth inning. And the Brewers still lead the Padres 2-1 in the eighth. Bottom of the eighth inning, Oakland three, Seattle two. One final score today from Major League Baseball, and it was the Pirates doubling up the Rockies in Pittsburgh 10-5. Cubs have first and third one out in the top of the first inning in Cincinnati against Red Starter Luis Castillo. South Bend Cubs played earlier today, lost to Great Lakes 4-3, so no Cubs baseball tonight. They're back on our airwaves tomorrow night at 7.05. Budweiser's weekday sports beep has been brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And by Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance. For surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget, call Tim at 574-232-9981. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to Tyler Horka for jumping on the program and South Bend Cubs manager Lance Rimel. It is 655 at WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 